Have you ever realized that we are such creatures of habit, that we like things a certain way, we like uh, things done how we like it and want it, and um, we often don't like it when we're not sure what's going to happen next. Uh, we don't like that. We get nervous. We, we get a little antsy when we're not sure what happens next in life. Um, and that, that question, uh, what happens next, happens a lot in our lives, right? Uh, whether it's you're transitioning to a new job, whether it's uh, you're moving to a new place, uh, whether it's you're like our, our high school graduate transitioning into college, um, what happens next is a question we get faced with a lot. Uh, maybe for some of you in this room, um, you just recently had a baby, and the question is, what happens next, right? Uh, when we had Colin uh, years ago, and it was, uh, we got home from the hospital, I just remember being like, what am I supposed to do now? Um, there's not a nurse who's going to actually make sure I don't kill him um, or break him. And what happens next? What am I supposed to do with this little baby and this little child? And it's scary, and we're not sure uh, what to do all the time. You know, when you're a kid, your parents, um, you always think, you know, mom and dad have it figured out, right? When you're a little kid, you're like, oh, you know, mom and dad have the book. They have the, the roadmap. They have it figured out. They know what they're supposed to do. Um, even when there's little bumps in the road, mom and dad always seem to like fix it, right? They get it right. But then as you grow up, you realize um, they had no clue what they were doing. And some of you are testaments to that. Um, uh, some of us, I guess I should say, are testaments to that. They had no clue what they were doing. They were just hoping for the best. Um, you know, there's a general outline, sure, we have in life. There's this general kind of, you know, go to school, uh, graduate, go to college, maybe learn a trade, maybe learn a skill, get a job, uh, find that special someone to marry and settle down with, have some kids, um, you know, raise them to be good people that return the cart to the cart corral at the grocery store, because if you don't do that, you're a psychopath. Um, so, you know, if your mama did not teach you to put the cart back in the cart corral, she raised you wrong. I'm just saying that, you know, just true, true story. Um, but we're raising them to be, you know, good people. And that's kind of the general outline, but we really aren't sure what happens next. Life has its uh, unexpected turns and its ups and its downs. And even for some of us in those basics, we're not sure what happens next. In my first, uh, when I first got hired into ministry, uh, I got hired in May. And so the next thing was basically the summer. And I knew how to do a summer. I had been around youth ministry enough. I had done internships. And I, I knew what a summer looked like. But when the summer was over with, and the trips were over, and the camps were over, I, I just remember sitting in my office being like, what do I do now? I mean, the kids are at school. I have no idea how to do this job. Uh, I, what happens next? What am I supposed to do next? And I do what we all do when we don't know what to do next. We fake it, right? You know, we pretend. We get real busy. So anytime somebody would come to me and be like, how's the student ministry going? Oh, we're busy super busy. We're doing busy things, and we're busy, busy bee, little bees. Um, and so, you know, that's what we do when we don't know what to do next. We just kind of look busy, look like we know what we're doing, and pretend, and try new things, and fail, maybe. Try other things, and those might work out. Hopefully, eventually, we'll figure it out along the way. And that's kind of how we do things. And truth be told, in this series, Life Squared, 
Chris has been talking about this abundant life that Jesus is offering us. And for some of us, we have the same question, what happens next? What do we do next in our spiritual lives? For many of us, we've put on Jesus in baptism. We've proclaimed our faith and our belief that Jesus is Lord. But what happens next? For a lot of us, we really have no clue. So we make ourselves look busy, right? We make ourselves look very church busy. We're at everything. We go to all the Bible studies. Anytime the doors are open, we're here. We make ourselves look really busy, hoping that nobody notices. We really have no clue what we're doing with our relationship with God. Things leading up to our baptism make sense. We're searching. We're looking. That makes sense. There's a task at hand. So we know what we're leading ourselves into, putting ourselves through baptism. That, that makes sense to us. But after that, it's like, what do we do now? What happens next? What do I do next? Oh, there's basics. You know, we go to church. We read our Bibles. We get involved in a ministry of some sort. But we're really not sure what happens next when it comes to this abundant life. So we sum up the full life with just coming to church and looking churchy. We sum all of this abundant full life that Jesus has offered us into being good Christians. And I would believe if you read Scripture that there's so much more to it than just being a good Christian. There's so much more to this life than being just a church person. There's so much more to fullness than what we make it out to be sometimes. Maybe there's more to this abundant life. So Chris has been talking about that for the last 10, 11 weeks, talking about what does this abundant life look like. And last week, he spent a lot of time in Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, in the Beatitudes, talking about what does it look like to truly be blessed. And he walked us through that, and it was amazing. I listened to it this week, and uh, one of the things that really stuck out to me was this quote from Chris. I don't know if he's ever been quoted on this screen, so. Um, But no matter what circumstance you came in here with, talking about when you came to church, God sees where you are living. Man, such a powerful statement. It does not matter where you're at, good, the bad, the ugly, anywhere in between. God sees where you are living and wants to bless you no matter where you're at. So Chris talks about this full, abundant life that Jesus offers. And it starts with knowing that we are blessed, right? That's the beginning. Knowing that God has blessed us, knowing that God has called us into his blessings is where we begin. Matthew chapter 5 is a testament to that. Jesus says things like, Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Listen, this is not a pity party for the struggling. Jesus is not throwing a pity party for those who have it hard. What Jesus is doing is he is making a declaration that God sees you and calls you blessed because he wants you and desires a relationship with you. So this is where we're going to be this morning. This is where we're going to hang out asking the question, what happens next? What happens after that? What do we do next? And to get there, we're going to back up just a little bit. So if you would, open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 4. Um, we're going to be here for just a moment, Matthew chapter 4. So as we get into Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to be reading from 15 and a little bit further, um, Jesus has, uh, you know, been born, obviously. He's come into this world. 
Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist. Um, he's fulfilled that prophecy. He's been baptized. He's gone into the wilderness for 40 days, and he spent his 40 days fasting, preparing himself for what happens next. He's been tempted by Satan. He's overcome those things. He's come back, and he's just heard that, that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been arrested. And so Matthew would tell us that, that Jesus leaves that area. He leaves Nazareth. He heads to Capernaum. And he does this to fulfill the prophecy in Isaiah. It says this, it says, Land of Zebulun and land, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So the world is, is in darkness. Those people then, and they li they're living in darkness, and here's this light that has come into the world and begins his ministry. And then verse 17, Jesus goes around preaching, and he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus goes around and he begins to preach this message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, Jesus is going through the area, he's gathering his disciples, and he's healing people, and he's talking about this message that repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And this is a message that the people of the time would be familiar with. If you're a Jewish person, you know your, your history, and you know your scrolls, and you know your prophets. And when a prophet rolls on the scene, he begins to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So this is not an unfamiliar idea to them. This is not an unfamiliar saying. Because a prophet would roll into town and he would begin to preach, repent, the time of God is at hand. And so the Jewish people are hearing this as Jesus rolls into town, healing people and saying, repent, for the, time, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And they're like, yeah, it has. Yes, it has. Here's a prophet, and God's about to do what God always does. He's about to smite some folks. He's about to take care of some business. Because if you're a Jewish person living in Ro Roman occupation, you know the stories of when your people were occupied and were in slavery and were in bondage, and God sends a prophet, and God takes care of those evildoers and those sinners, those bad people. And so you're a Jewish person, and you're sitting here, and you hear Jesus roll through, and you're like, yeah, here it goes. God's getting busy. We're about to have our land back. Everything's going to go well. We're going to be the, the, the top dog again. The nation of Israel is going to rise to the top like we always have. Here we go. God is angry. God is mad at these sinners and these evildoers, and he's going to do what he always does, and this is the prophet to do it. They're excited. Because God has sent a prophet to rescue them. But what's about to happen is going to be a shocking revelation to many of them. And it's not going to go according to plan. Ha, ha, let me ask you, have you ever had one of those moments where you, you, you knew something so well until you didn't know it, right? You knew it. You're like, this is it. This is 100% this is the way things are until you don't realize that that's the, the way it really is, one of those shocking revelations, one of those things that changes everything in your life. For me, one of those happened 
when I was a, a, young, a young boy. Um, I can't really replace, replace the time exactly. It was around fourth, maybe fifth grade, possibly sixth grade. But it was a huge shock to me um, that my dad wasn't who I thought he was. Um, around that time, a, a big shock happened where he wasn't the man that I thought he was. And my dad will listen to this later, and he's probably going to kill me because I'm going to tell this story. I'm sorry, Dad. But at that age, I had a huge revelation that my dad wasn't the man I thought he was simply because of a hamster. Yeah, hamster. Weird, huh? Um, so the story goes like this. My brother and I, we have birthdays a little over a month apart. My birthday's in December, um, December 3rd, if you want to get me gifts. Um, and my brother's birthday is in January. And so occasionally mom would want to save some money and we'd have joint birthdays at the skating rink or wherever it would be, kind of in the middle of our two birthdays. And one year, one of our neighbors had the great idea um, that she would get us a hamster. Um, I don't understand. Here's a little burden, rodent burden for you here. Congratulations on your birthday. So she gets us a hamster. And, you know, we do what cool kids in the um, early 90s do. Uh, we name it after a Ninja Turtle, Michelangelo. Uh, so we had this little hamster named Michelangelo, and this is, nobody told me this about hamsters, that they have little pointy kind of claws, um, and so I remember grabbing this hamster for the first time and being like, no, no, I'm done, I'm out, no, no thank you. So, ugh, just, I even think about it now, I don't even like going through like the rodent section at a pet store, like I just avoid all that, I don't do rodents. A snake I'm fine with. But if you see a mouse, mm -mm, I'm out, Not done. Don't do rodents. Um, but anyway, so we get this little thing, we get this little rodent, and my dad loves it. It's crazy. I hate this thing. I'm like, I want nothing to do with you, Michelangelo. Go back to your sewer. I don't like you at all. <laughs> but my dad loved this thing. So he'd get home from work, and it would crawl all over him. I'm just like, that's disgusting. And he would put it in the little like clear ball that you buy for a hamster and it would just follow my dad around the house. And I was like, oh, this is so weird. Um, but eventually a little over, you know, maybe a year or so um, of, its, of its short little life, it passed away in its sleep peacefully and gracefully, you know. I, I guess there was no struggle. Who knows? We were asleep. But this is what happens next. And this is the shocking moment um, because it's the first time I saw my dad cry. I know, it's weird. It's a hamster. I'm like, this is weird. But I, I've, I remember it so vividly. This hamster dies. And we go out in the backyard and we put it in a, in a little bread bag because we don't want to, like a cat to dig it up and eat it. Um, but I remember, I'll, ne I'll, I'll, just, I'll never forget this. The plaid shirt that my dad was wearing and he's on his knees and I'm here and my brother Ryan is here and he's just crying. And we dig a little hole and we put him in it, and he puts it back on, and he puts a rock over it, and we hug him, and he's just crying. And I'm just like, this is not who I thought he was. This man is not who I thought he was. Because, you know, your dad's like the first superhero in your life, right? He's the guy that can run through walls. He's the guy that fixes everything. He's the guy that tells you to rub dirt in it and suck it up. Um, quit being a pansy, you know, that's what dads say, stuff like that. When I broke my leg when I was four, my dad was like, make him stand on it. I was like, <laughs> crying. Ah. My dad was a tough guy, I thought. But here he is crying over this hamster, and it blew my mind. 
And it showed me that he's not the man that I thought he was. He has emotions. He feels things. Truth be told, and sorry, Dad, my dad's a big softy. Um, my dad cries all the time. And he showed me that it's okay to show emotion. But it's one of those moments in your life where it's everything you thought you knew about what you thought you knew is not what you thought you knew, right? Everything is different. And that's what's happening here. That's what's happening here in Matthew chapter 4, moving into Matthew chapter 5. Everything these people thought they knew about God and their relationship with Him is about to be blown up. Everything is changing. When Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is near, He isn't harking back to the way that God would reveal Himself to a fledgling nation struggling to create its identity. What Jesus is saying, I am here, I am this message, I am the good news, I am everything that you've been waiting for, and I have come near so that you may have relationship with God, so that you may know him. So we get into Matthew chapter 5. Again, Chris beautifully laid this out last week, talking about the Beatitudes and the, 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 the blessings that come to those who he is calling into kingdom life. So what do we do next? What do we do with that? What do we do with this Sermon on the Mount? What do we do next? And that's a struggle I think a lot of us have. We look at what Jesus says, hey, blessed are the poor, blessed are the, uh, are the meek, blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are uh, the persecuted. And we're like, okay, what do we do next with that? And Jesus lays that out for us. He starts with those who are, who are called to the kingdom, those who God has said, you are worthy of relationship with me. You are worthy to be a part of my kingdom. And it's not those that, that you would think. It's not the powerful. It's not the rich. It's not the people who have it all put together and do, quote unquote, church right of that time period. It's not the Pharisees, those who are following everything perfectly. The calling is to everyone, good or bad, and in between. So Jesus jumps into that, and he begins to talk about why. He talks about why is this so important? Why is the kingdom of God so important? And he uses these metaphors. He talks about you are the salt of the earth. You know, salt is so valuable in the ancient world. Um, salt's not like what it is for us now. You know, many of us will go to a restaurant later and there'll be a salt shaker on every table. Um, you can go to Walmart right now and you can buy like, you know, a gallon of salt for like two bucks. Um, it's not very expensive. Um, but back then, salt was valuable and it was highly traded and it was important because of, its because of its ability to preserve and flavor foods. It was like a multi-purpose tool back then in the ancient world. And Jesus is trying to tell his people, he said, you know, why it's so important to be a part of this kingdom is because you have great value to the kingdom. You play a role in this kingdom. You're not just another body occupying a space. You are valuable and you are important. And then he uses another metaphor. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You know, Jesus, what he's doing here, he's Oftentimes we read this as, you know, Sean is a light, a, a, a city on a hill. Sean has to be a, a city on a hill. And that's a lot of pressure for me, to be a city on a hill. 
But what Jesus is actually doing, he's using the collective word you. He's saying everybody. He's saying all of you. Each one of you represent an individual light that makes up a greater whole than just yourself. So together, each of us shine a light and we set ourselves upon a hill so that the world can see you shine for who you are and what you're about. And that's about being kingdom people. So it kind of takes the pressure off of having to feel like, man, I have to be this lone light in the darkness. No, you get to be a light connected to everyone around you, shining bright, just like a city upon a hill. Just like when you pull through the ridge cut on a dark night and you see all the lights. Jesus is saying, that's you, each one of you, a city or a light in a city shining bright. And then Jesus moves on and he begins to talk about that he's come not to abolish the law or the prophets, but I've come to fulfill it all. He says, this is what I'm here for. I'm not stripping away everything, but I'm here to fulfill everything. I'm here to make everything right. Because for the Jewish people, the law was how they defined their relationship with God. If I do the, the, the law and I, and I practice all of these laws and I do them right, then God is happy with me and I can be close to him. If I sacrifice in just the right way, if I uh, fulfill the law in just the right way, if I do every little thing and I check every box, God will be happy with me and I can be close to him. And Jesus is saying, listen, I've come so that all of that will be fulfilled. So that you may be near to God and your relationship will be restored to him just like it was at the beginning of time. Jesus has come not to, to take these things away, but to fulfill them. And it's a bombshell into these people's hearts. Because for them, the law was how they defined their relationship. And God is, or Jesus is saying, there's a new way that you will define your relationship. And it starts with me, and it starts through me. And it starts with living the way the kingdom was meant to be lived out. So what do we do with that? Again, the question is, what happens next? Because I get it, okay? Jesus, you've come. Jesus, you're, you're, you're wanting to bless us because God loves us. Um, we're supposed to be examples. Yeah, salt, light, we get it. But what happens next? What do I do next after that? And Jesus would begin to lay that out, and he breaks it down. These statements of, you have heard it said. He says, hey, you know murder? Don't do that. You've heard that said, right? Don't, don't kill people. It's probably a good thing. But he says, don't even get angry at someone. He says, murder, yeah, we know we're not supposed to do that. But if you're a kingdom person, what happens next is you don't even get angry with someone. You don't even get mad. The people that you have beef with, the people that you have issues with, before you come to church, if you're a kingdom person, work that stuff out. Take care of those things before you come and offer your sacrifices. That's what kingdom people do. That's what happens next if you're a kingdom person. You know adultery, that whole thing? Yeah, well, I tell you, even if you look at someone sexually, you've already sinned. You've already done it. If you look at him or you look at her as just a, a device of pleasure, you've already sinned. And it would be better for you to gouge out your eye. It would be better for you to cut off your hand. 
than to continue to do that. He says, you know, divorce, you know that loophole that, that you have in the law that lets you kind of toss away your wife? Because listen, he's not talking to the women here. The women have no rights in this society. He's talking to the men who would write a certificate of divorce to their wife just because they weren't happy with them. And so Jesus is using this new kingdom living to say, this is what happens next if you're a kingdom person. You love your wife and you be committed to that covenant. You just don't write her off because it's easy for you. Outside of sexual adultery and uh, sexual misconduct, you can't just write her off. You just can't, you can't do that. It's not that easy, people. So Jesus is changing the way they look at that. He's giving empowerment to these women who have no rights in this culture that looks at them as less than. Oh, and you know that whole revenge thing? Stop. Stop it. Stop trying to get back at people. Man, we spend so much time trying to get back at people that do us wrong. Eye for an eye makes everyone blind. Stop it. What happens next if you're a kingdom person? You quit trying to get back at people that have done you wrong. If someone slaps you on the face, turn the other cheek. If someone wants to take advantage of you by asking you to go one mile, go two. If someone asks for your shirt, just go ahead and give them your jacket as well. Revenge is not for the people of God. Revenge is for God alone. So what happens next for us as kingdom people? We do not try to get back at people. And speaking of those people that you don't like and who don't like you, pray for them. Let's be honest. Everybody in this room hates somebody. Let's just be honest. Let's just throw it out there. There's somebody you don't like. There's somebody that hates you or you hate them. It could be from the smallest thing, from they don't, they're not on the, they're, they don't follow the same sports team to you, or it could be the biggest thing, they have a completely different belief system or ideology than you. But somebody, we, we hate people. There's somebody we hate and don't like. We post about it on our Facebook. Let's get rid of these people. Let's change these people. Let's, let's, let's throw these people out of our system. And the kingdom of God has become a place more known for who we hate than who we love. And Jesus is saying, what's next? As you pray for the people that you don't like so that you may learn to love them. And pray for those who hate you so that you may learn to love them. Kingdom people, this is what we live for and this is what it looks like and this is what we do. Oh, and those things that you think are so important on this earth, the stuff that we work hours and hours trying to get, it's going to rust, it's going to wither, it's going to break down, and it's going to just end up in a trash pile somewhere. If our focus is more on those things of this world, we will be controlled by them and they will become our masters. So what's next is we don't worry about the things of this world because Jesus says that, you know, look at the flowers, look at the birds. God takes care of them and all their splendor. 
So how much more will he take care of you? Because he loves you so much. But we spend so much time in this world trying to get ahead, to have the best stuff, to look nice. And Jesus says, none of those things matter. And and, And for some of us, those things have become our master. So don't worry about those things. God will take care of us. Oh, and when you judge others, be careful because God will judge you in the same way that you judge others. Listen, judgment is a thing that God allows us to do in the form of accountability to one another. But when we act like we're better than other people, when we have that plank in our eye, as Jesus says, while somebody else has a speck in their eye, Jesus says, don't do that. Don't focus on those things. Take care of yourself. Take care of your relationship. Be the kind of person that God has called you to be before you try to hold someone else accountable for their problems and their issues. Jesus wraps it up. He wraps this message up telling us and reminding us to ask God for things because he is generous. He says, follow that narrow path. That's what happens next. Follow that narrow path. It's not easy. Sometimes it's not simple. But it's worth it. And it's better. Kingdom living is better when you're following his path and his way. He says, you will know the followers of God. You will know those who are in this kingdom by their fruit. Not how much they know. Not how well they can quote scripture. Not how well they can come to you after something and say, here's what the Bible says. They'll say, And they'll know you by your fruit, the way you live your life. Whether you hate people or you don't. Whether you pray for people or you don't. Whether you give more than you take. Whether you're connecting to the Lord in prayer or not. They will know you by your fruits. Then he says, we find ourselves as wise men and women if we do these things. But if we don't, we're foolish. Chris talked about this a couple of weeks ago. If, we're, if we don't do these things and we don't put these things into our life, we are fools and we are foolish people trying to go about this rat race, trying to figure it out. If we don't put these things into practice, we are foolish people. So what happens next for us? What happens next in our lives? I believe we live a kingdom life. That's what happens next. It's... Not that difficult to figure out because Jesus says it pretty, clean, pretty clearly and pretty plainly right here in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. We worry so much about what it's supposed to look like to be a, a follower of God when Jesus says this is what it looks like to be a follower of God. This is what kingdom living is all about. We don't get angry. We pray and we love those who have, we have no reason to love. We pray and we look for peace with those who hate us. We give more than we take. And we live out a radical message that Jesus shared with his followers at the beginning of his ministry. So what happens next for us? That was funny. We had a news report over here. I thought maybe it was the word of the Lord for just a second. But what do we do next? We live this, this out. This abundant life. Man, Chris has spent so 
much time trying to get us to understand that God is calling us to something more, something bigger. Jesus called his followers 2,000 years ago to be a part of something bigger than themselves. He, he tells them over and over again, I'm offering you something bigger and better than what you think you know about this relationship with God. And it starts with living out the Sermon on the Mount. That's what we do next. For me, whenever I'm struggling and I'm like, man, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, I go back and I reread Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 over and over again to remind myself this is what it looks like to live the full and abundant life. This is what it looks like to be people of God. This is what it looks like to live in the kingdom that has come near to us through Jesus. Jesus is calling us to so much more, to take hold of a life that we never thought was possible. And he tells us exactly what it looks like. He's not hiding it from us. He's not trying to keep it from you. He's not trying to keep it a secret. He's saying, this is what it looks like. Hear my words. Live them out. Be people who live a full, abundant life. Because that's what I've come for. That's what I'm here for. That's why God has sent me, so that you may have life and have it to the full or more abundantly. This morning, I know many of us, we, we're, we're sitting here and we're wondering, what do I do next? What do I do next? Go home. Open up your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. That's what you do next. That's where you go from here. And when you're done with that, you do it again. And when you're done with that, you do it again. And when you're not sure what to do next, you do it again. And when you're asking a question, how am I supposed to do this next? What happens next? I've changed jobs. So-and-so doesn't like me. My marriage is falling, falling apart. My life is falling apart. I've just lost my job. Everything is crumbling around me. What happens next, God? Open up Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And read it again. And live it out again. Over and over and over again. That is where true life is found. Living a kingdom life the way Jesus describes it in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. This morning, as we wrap up and we close our time of worship together, if there's anything that we can pray for you about, if maybe you're stuck in that rut of, I don't know what to do next, and you just need to lay it all out and share it, we'll have some elders up here. We'll have one of our elders in the prayer room. If you want to talk more privately or if you just have to share, you just want to share a prayer request, We'll, we'd love to pray over those things. Um, F4, for someone in this room, if you've never put Jesus on in baptism and you, don't, you haven't started that relationship and you don't even know where to begin, we'd love to talk with you about it. We've got our waters ready. If you're ready to take that next step and put on Jesus in baptism and begin that full, abundant life that Jesus has promised and offered you. I'm not sure where you're at this morning, but what I do know is what happens next is we leave this place and we go out and we be kingdom people. We go out and we do things differently than the world around us. And when they look at us and they wonder why, we can tell them because Jesus is Lord and he is king of this world and his kingdom has come near so that you may have relationship with him. Whatever it is this morning, we're going to sing Mighty to Save.
because we have a Lord who is big, who is great, who is willing to save us and rescue us from ourselves so often. Whatever it is that you need, let's stand as we sing.